0: Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you fill our mouths, fill our hearts? Would you cause the word to speak deeply into our spirit? We pray for any here that are, are struggling or f- far away from you that you would draw them with your presence. We pray for words. We pray for thank you for these words of healing that have already been released here today. We pray that much more would happen both here in this room and for all the people joining us online in other rooms and places around the world, bless your people, God, and fill us with power and love in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I've, I've been in this ser- Last week, Jason spoke on tension. Anybody have any tension this week? Okay. You got an importation? The week before, I interrupted my... Um, series on Romans because it was July 3rd and talked about America and talked about life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, the godly roots. and uh, But I'm, I want to get back into this. And I was right in the middle. You know, Romans is pretty easy to understand, relatively easy to understand. But when I was a new Christian, It was too long and confusing for me. I'd just get lost, like, what? You know, and and I would be so relieved when I'd get to Romans 12, you know, because, oh, present your body, living sacrifice, you know, don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing, yeah, I got that. I loved Romans eight. It's long enough for two chapters, in my opinion, but the, uh, you know, it's, it's the center, the whole first eight chapters, it, Paul is, is declaring this great salvation that we've received, that nothing can separate us, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to set us free, both in this life and on the very last day, the judgment day, when we all will give an account that that this gospel is his gift. Thank you, Jesus. And so one through eight, you can understand. 12 through 16, you can understand. But nine through 11 is confusing because he is addressing an issue that we don't necessarily understand. Um, The Roman church, like most churches, was, was started by those who were at the day of Pentecost, went back wherever they came from, or... You know, and then we follow in the book of Acts, Paul preaching the gospel in unknown places, but basically there were people from all over the world, they went back where they came from, they experienced the presence and power of God with signs and wonders, and it and it got on them, and they came back, and a church was there in Rome, in the heart of the beast, the, the center of the empire, and... Uh, and so these were primarily Jewish background believers, and they, you know, they they were impacted. Their lives changed, just like your life changed. If you meet Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside you. You are a new creation, and there's a there's something in your life that wasn't there before. There and there's a lot removed in your life that was there that before that's not there. That we're we're new creatures. Shh. You know, and this is, how do we know that that happened? Because the Holy Spirit inside us bears testimony to the reality. And uh, my, you know, when I became a Christian, I was 21 years old. It was over 50 years ago. Do the math. Oh, it's terrible. Anyway, don't do the math. Anyway, the, uh, the, but it's like, I knew it, you know, we knew it. Like the next, like one week after it's like, oh my gosh, our vocabulary changed without effort. You know, like stuff I used to just say, it was like regular parts of my language, just were gone. It wasn't ever. I know other people struggle with that. Other people, you get free, set free. There's always some area where you're set free, and this becomes the testimony of the reality of salvation. And if you've never met Jesus, I'm telling you, all the stuff you've been working on and could never get anywhere with, he wants to come in and set you free. And I'll say this, if you're an old, grumpy Christian and, you, and you've lost that first love, he wants to come and pour his fire into you and fill you again with the wonder, you know, like it just happened. It's called do the things you did before, return to your first love. Anyway, so we're in Romans 9, 10, 11. So the, anyway, there's these Jewish believers and then one of the emperors kicks all the Jews out of Rome. Like, they had to move away. This is how... Aquila and Priscilla ended up living among the Gentiles and Paul would meet these people and so when then the regime changed and they moved back. But when they moved back, the church had changed. When they left, it was primarily Jewish background believers with some Gentiles, but they came back and it's, it's like grown while they're gone and they're like all Gentiles and now it's confusing to the Jewish believers and to the Gentiles. They don't know what to do with each other. You know the Jewish people—they come. Hey, let's go to church. You know it's Sunday morning. They go in and it smells like bacon. They're like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, you know, but I mean, they—they were—they were distinct culturally, religiously, ethically, morally. You know, they like because the Jewish people had a gift from God that they had followed and. And they, did, they hadn't come to the culmination of it, but now these, just we, so there's this conflict. And this is, Paul wants to address this issue, and that's Romans 9, 10, and 11. So in chapter nine, I spoke on about three weeks ago, you know, we it's this amazing thing that, that, uh, and it, he talks about god 's election, you know that he chose these people, and that he 's sovereign that he chooses some and doesn 't choose others and and it 's none of our business it 's above our pay grade basically and yet we come to Romans ten and we realize that well, wait a minute, if the people chosen rejected God, it seems like there is some human responsibility here and uh, and then in in chapter eleven he He brings together, kind of like warning us against bad attitudes, but the the assurance that even Israel's rejection was riches to the world. How much more will their fulfillment be? And he assures them that all Israel will be saved and he ends chapter 11 in a glory meltdown, which I can't wait to get to. But anyway, today we're in this middle section and you know, this tension, like wait a minute, how could the people that were supposed to receive the gift reject it? So we'll pick it up with uh, 9.30. And he starts out with these words, what will we say then? You know, this is a rhetorical question, but it's like this tension that we live with, like wait, some of the stuff, it doesn't happen the way we think it's gonna. Have any of you noticed it that way? Now, Like, that's just how, you know, you get kids and you make plans for them, and it doesn't happen the way you planned it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we live our life, we plan to live one way, and it doesn't happen the way you planned it. So, and you could end up living in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for 33 years, even though you'd never even considered the thought (laughs) until God just said, okay, now, that's what happened to enemy. So let's go to the what? Verse 30, Romans 9. What shall we say then? The Gentiles, the goyim, who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. And so the weird thing is, it's like this gospel comes to the Jewish people. They, prim- they for in large, rejected it. And in large, the, the Gentiles were streaming into the church. So this doesn't seem fair. So this is why he's addressing this the gentiles who did not pursue righteousness they weren't running the race they weren't disciplined in their culture all that stuff they won the prize they attained it that is a righteousness by faith and contrary verse 31 but israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law so in other words israel's running the race they're training hard they're keeping you know 365 Negative commandments, 218 positive commandments, or maybe it's reversed, reverse, but over 600 commandments in their daily lives, in their culture, and by and large, they don't accept the Messiah God sends, and so the issue is why, you know, so verse 32, um, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They weren't running the race by faith, but as it were, based on works. And so this is the big issue that Paul is dealing with this, is like how we pursue God, with faith or by works. And in fact, we need them both. <laughs> but we can never find God through works. God will, fortunately, God finds us. And he often supersedes all our faith our bad thinking and bad efforts and everything else and just comes and reveals his goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus. But verse 32, he continues on and he says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, verse 33, behold, I'm laying in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And you think like, God, why would you make a stone of offense? And I don't have an answer to that question except he's God and I'm not. Praise the Lord, you know. that the stone of stumbling is Christ crucified. You know, and, and what Paul is doing throughout this entire passage is all these, he's reaching back into the scriptures, into the law and the prophets. And the stone of, God laid in Zion a stone, a precious cornerstone, Isaiah 28. But it's a stone of stumbling, Isaiah eight fourteen, And it will either be for, it'll either be for, restoration or ruin depending on, but it's a stone of offense. Like what I'm going to do is going to offend you. Do you understand that's what God did with Habakkuk? Habakkuk was so offended. He said, God, what are you doing? And God said, let me show you. I'm going to use the Babylonians. God, and Habakkuk said, I'm offended. <laughs> But by the end, Habakkuk says, though the fig tree doesn't blossom, there be no fruit in the vine, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. You know, it's like God takes us on this journey. He doesn't do it our way. How many of you are glad he did it his way and not our way? You know, like, yes. (laughs) Okay, So, so that's... Isaiah 8, and then he says, but if you put your trust in him, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, you will not be judged on the last day, and you won't be disappointed in this life. That's from Joel 2, 27. Jews demand a sign. Greeks seek wisdom. This is Paul's letter to the Corinthians. verse 20, Chapter 123 says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Why would God do that? Because unless we turn and become like little children, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. God didn't actually come in a way that was sensitive to our cultures. He came in a way that fulfilled every promise he ever made, and he came in a way that would cause us to humble ourselves and come to the cross and say, thank you, God. I would have never imagined, we were singing it this morning, a God who bleeds a God who became human and didn't just beat everybody up, get rid of all the bad guys, and welcome all the good people to stay. But he came in a way that it causes every human being to say, I've fallen short of your glory, I need you. Would you have mercy on me? Would you wash away everything I've done that's been rebellious, stupid, selfish, or any other bad adjective, and would you give me your righteousness? This is what he did. And that's how we come. So he gets into chapter 10. And Paul's said, he says, look, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them that they might be saved. These are his people. These are his kin, his relatives. And he says, "But I, and I bear witness to them that they have a zeal for God. He said, listen, these people, they've, I know them. They're my uncles. They're my cousins. They're my relatives. They have a zeal for God. But it's without knowledge they're trying so hard they're running this race they've run the race so much that they're they're training themselves so far that they've forgotten the goal of the race and then it goes on and it says verse three for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness if you know if unless we've had an encounter with God that shakes us and you know shakes rattles and rolls us and causes us to say I didn't know it was like that then we will always shrink him down to what we can accomplish you know we'll shrink him down to like I'm going to fast I'm going to become a vegan because I'm not going to kill any animals I'm going to you know I'm going to do my yoga every day I'm going to whatever it is you know what I'm going to I'm going to be a good person I'm going to have good karma good luck on good karma. By the way, you ever wonder when people, you know, just believe? Well, you know, good karma. Who is the judge? The the lords of karma, whoever they are. You know, it's kind of like somehow the universe is going to send you back as a dog, a frog, a log, or or. <laughs> because you, you had different degrees of evil? How does that work? It doesn't work. It requi- the universe requires a, a brilliant, perfect, necessary creator who is also able to judge every single human being. Guess what? Dogs and tigers and polar bears and grizzly bears don't get judged, but every human will stand before God, because we were created in His image, we are created for His glory. How'd you do? That's why you, you don't want to be put to shame. You don't want him to say, "I didn't know you." Depart from me." Anyway, I, this is called the fear of God. <laughs> and it's the beginning of wisdom. God, I need mercy. Every one of us needs God's mercy. What's amazing is he's rich in mercy. and it, Anyway, there, he renews it day by day. He, I, they bear, have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, because they got so focused on the race they're running that they started comparing themselves with each other, and they were trying to establish their own righteousness. You ever meet people, well, I'm a good person, Because, you know, I know people that are worse than me. But you realize you might be someone who's worse to someone who's better. And they might think, I'm a good person because I'm not like Charlie Stock. I'm a good person because I'm better than Rick Pickens, which is not true. (laughs) Rick Pickens say, I'm good, I'm better than Charles. Yeah. See, it's like trying to establish our own righteousness stinks. And, uh, and so if we, if we get focused on comparing ourselves with each other, we're not, to use the language that Jason used last Sunday, we're not transcendent, you know, and we're ignorant of the, we don't submit to God's righteousness, which is so much higher. Isaiah 55, verse 9, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Perfect. That's how God is, Perfect in every dimension. We may not like how he does it, but that's because we're not perfect. (laughs) We'd like to shrink God down, he'd do it our way. I'm so glad God didn't do it my way. Because I would have already sentenced myself to death, I'm sure. Okay, so, but... So all of this, I mean, the, the whole point is that no one's making it without Jesus, and He brings us to the point in verse four when He says, "For Christ is the end of the law. He's the purpose of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But He's also the finish of the law. And he, you know, He's talking about people pursuing righteousness. He's actually using the language of a racetrack. You know, He says the." the Jewish people were running so hard and they didn't win and the Gentiles, they just kind of sauntered onto the track. They weren't really trying and they came with their you know, spare ribs and fried popcorn shrimp and they kind of sauntered up there and they said, Jesus wants to save you. Okay. They had nothing to, they had, you know, I mean many, of course everybody's got their own self-righteousness but Jesus is both the purpose of the race and he's the finish of the race, and he's the beginning of a new era. That's what it means when it says he's the end of the law. The law still exists in the sense that the law has all kinds of amazing eternal principles. The law is still part of the word of God, but it's like we're no longer judged by the law. We're no longer trying to achieve the law because Jesus fulfilled the law for us so that the righteousness of God might be expressed and fulfilled in our lives. Isn't that amazing? He said, I'm going to give you what you could never achieve on your own. It's called grace. Grace is God's ability. God's ability to do what you were created to do, to become what you were meant to be. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. The old, old, uh, what do you call that acronym <laughs> grace thank you jesus and so so that so verse 4 is re- it's like the hinge of of everything he's saying in these chapters and uh, it explains why he's saying that That the Jews they had such a narrow focus that they stumbled at the stone of offense, and and that. But he's also declaring that righteousness is now found only in Christ, and only through faith do we come to it. This is his point, and so, and and then he goes on in continuing in Romans ten, verse five. He begins to, he's, he's gonna unfold, what is this righteousness that comes by faith? Righteousness means we're entirely loyal to what we're committed to. It, I, mean, it is the, I mean, there is the meaning of righteousness that we do what's right, but it's very relational. It, that rightness is entirely relational. That's why when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God because we may turn our back on God, but he never turns his back on us. We may say, Jesus, I don't want you, but Jesus will say, no, but I want you. I chose you before the foundation of the earth and I will continue to draw you to me. The righteousness of God is, he says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. The righteousness of God is, he says, regarding the Roman soldiers, mocking him, gambling for his garments, drunk out of their minds, maybe filled with demons. Father, forgive them. The righteousness of God is Stephen, as he's being stoned to death, says regarding all these Pharisees who are stoning him, F- do not hold this against them. What if all of those people got saved? We know Paul was there. He was saying, yeah, only he was known as Saul then. Stephen's prayer was answered. This is the righteousness of God. Thank you. Okay, so we'll keep going. So Romans, for Moses, Romans 10, verse five, for Moses writes about the righteousness based in the law that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. In other words, he's saying, you guys are right. You know, what Moses wrote, Leviticus, was if you keep all the law, you'll live. But actually, the law speaks of a higher righteousness. I mean, the Old Testament scriptures. So he'll, he'll mine through and bring out revelation from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. He get, because once we come to Jesus, there's like this language of personal faith. And it starts out, verse six, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, Who's going to ascend to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who's going to descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, don't like lose the language of doing great things because that's going to bring God close to you. I mean, we do that. We we go after great things for God, but we understand the only reason I'm going to meet God is because He made it possible, not my work isn't making it possible. So he's saying, lose the language of of this extreme effort. Verse eight, because here's how faith speaks. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we proclaim. And this is the gift of God. This is the message they were proclaiming. This is the gospel, that the word is near you and it's in your heart, and this is the message that Jesus died for you, died for me, died for our sins, that he took them away from us and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. And because of that, we're not under any condemnation and because of that, that nothing is impossible. If the power of death is broken, we have nothing to fear. Jesus, help us. And of course, it's human to fear. You fear, you fear all kinds of things. Say, yeah, I'm afraid if I drive 150 miles an hour and I don't slow down for a turn, I will die and you're right. <laughs> so that's not like a crazy fear, but that's just an awareness of reality. So there, but he's saying you will not live in fear of judgment. You will not live in fear that you will live your life in vain. If you put your trust in Jesus, you will not be ashamed. You'll live for his glory, you'll die for his glory, you'll glorify him in your life and in your death. Jesus, thank you. This is good. And, it, and he's in our hearts and he's in our mouths and as soon, I mean, you could be like, know nothing about, you know, know nothing about this. This is me, You know, Charles Stock on his knees, May 1972. Jesus, I've tried everything else, I've never tried you. If you show me a reel, I'll follow you. So you think like God's saying, nah, that's not a very good prayer, but it was the best I could do because I literally had tried all kinds of different religious, spiritual things that I thought would make me a good person, that I thought would bring me to reality. And you know, a few days later, Ann and I are in a meeting, we lift our hands, we're worshiping the name of Jesus, and we experientially felt the nearness of God. It felt like warm oil being poured over us. We needed that. Not everybody needs the same thing. But it was like, okay, that's real. I, I marked it in my heart, and I began to notice the changes. Thank you, Jesus. It's like, it's like so, but that was, a, what happened was a righteousness based on faith. It wasn't anything. I, just, I couldn't do it. He did it. I pray for every one of you that in your own way, you would know that you know that you know that Jesus has come into your life that you've made him Lord, that you've made him the center of your life. Because when you do that, it's not, an, it's not hard, it's wonderful, because as soon as grace is working in your life, you're a new creation, and you're being reformed into the image of God. Okay, I better hurry up. This is, this the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we proclaim. And, and so this is Paul's burden. This is what his whole message was. You, we come, everything we've been working for has been given to us. And if we believe, if we trust, we receive it. We believe it, we receive it. We say, God, it's true. I can't do anything about it, but I'm open. And he gives it to us. Do you understand he's rich? We don't have to talk him into it. We do, you know, we come begging, oh God, please. He's like, I'm so glad you want it. He's rich. He has too much. He's looking for partners that will receive who he is. Okay, so we're set free by what's internal and what's external. Romans 10, 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll be set free. You'll be healed. You'll be delivered. And on the last day, you will not be ashamed. You'll enter into his reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, so it's outward. We confess and we live in the light. Of this fact that Jesus is Lord. Over six thousand times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, this Greek word "Kyrios" is used for God as the name of God, as Yahweh, as Adonai. It's used. For that. So when he's saying that, they all understood. These are Jewish people reading us. They read like, whoa, we confess Jesus is Lord. We're saying Jesus is God. Do you understand? This was a stumbling stone because Jesus was crucified as a criminal. You know, he was marred more than any, you know, is barely recognizable as human. Like, is that God? This is his love that he laid down his life for us, that he took our shame, our pain, everything from us to give us everything he has. Have have we really received it? Have we said, God, I want it all. I want it all, I wanna be like you. Come on, Jesus. Okay, so we confess God has raised him from the dead, This is our internal trust, which means basically nothing is impossible. If God has raised him from the dead, he will raise me from the dead. In him we're raised and seated in heavenly places. But it also means that I can die without fear. Jesus, thank you. And it means you can too. And it says, when that is going on, you will be saved you will be healed, you will be set free, you will be restored, you will be made whole because what binds us continually is fear. Fear, pride, selfishness all bring us into lying and all this other, you know, one trap after another and pretty soon we're so messed up, we don't know how we got there and we come to him and we say, God, I'm a mess, take it away. He said, okay, that's your confession. God, I'm a mess. Later on, you might go, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and it's good to get it all out, but then he says, you're forgiven. You're not only forgiven, you're restored. You're not only restored. I'm cleansing you from even all unrighteousness. I'm bringing you to a place where you're pristine. Man, is this good? It's like, man, it's a good thing to confess your sins. It's good to get set free. God help us. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and, and, and I love this, literally it means, with the heart we believe unto righteousness, that's how many translations, but it's we believe our way into righteousness. Like how do I, how can I be righteous? Believe, trust. We say believe, but believe is like religious, trust is more of a generic term, but. Like active trust, like God, I don't feel it, but I trust what you've said is true. So I'm going to act it, I'm going to speak it. (laughs) Don't say in your heart, wait, I have to climb a mountain first, or I have to go down to the depths of hell. And they say, no, just say, the word is in my mouth and in my heart. It's very near me and I'm gonna confess it. I'm gonna believe it and I'm gonna say it because out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. It's a good way. It's one of the ways we can kind of keep track. How's my heart? Well, how's your speech? You know, I'll get, you know, just true confession here. This isn't my worst confession. I mean, you know, if I gave you the worst compassion, like people go, I'm leaving. You know, but it's just like, these are not active things, but just, you know, we, we get hung up on, the, on what's appropriate to say and what's not appropriate to say publicly. And one of, one of the things I feel like I can say publicly, one of the places where I get tripped up is I get disappointed with when things don't go the way that I'm planning. And I, it takes me time to get over it. I get like, ugh. You know, and then the, another thing is, like I get traumatized by weird and challenging things that happen to me with people, which if you're like in this calling that I have, you get a lot of opportunities for that. And sometimes, like some of them are so traumatic, I wanna process it, you know? I wanna say, hey, and you know, and then this happened, this happened, this happened, then they said this, and, that. and I can feel like the joy level, the presence level, it's like, like, man, God, how do you use someone like me? It's called grace, (laughs) okay? So so just shut up, I'm saying that to myself, just shut up on the trauma and begin to give thanks. And begin to say, Jesus, this was hard. Okay, that's a confession, but I thank you. Fill me up again, okay, keep going here. So, why don't you stand up? Verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone, everyone, this means there's no one left out, no Jew, no Gentile left out who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 12, there's no distinction. Can you just say no distinction? Now I mean the very essence of holiness is distinction between what is good, what is evil. You know, and yet he's saying God is so great that when it comes to your relationship with him, there's no distinction. Everyone who comes to him, he welcomes. Isn't that wild? There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all. The reason he can take away all the distinctions between you. Do you know when a mass murderer comes to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, well, I'm sorry. No, you're too bad. But when, when Ted Bundy, which is, was a mass murderer back in the 70s, horrible, crimes when he came to Jesus God didn't say well I don't know Ted he said I'm I'm a monster God said you are but I forgive you and he made him a new creation and he was he died and he went to heaven like you think that's not fair no it's not fair we should all go to hell but because of his mercy he saved us and because of his mercy, whether what we did was what Ted Bundy did or what we did was just we were a gossip and we were selfish and ornery and didn't like love our neighbor as ourself, that's what we deserve. And God's mercy came to all of us. Are you thankful for God's mercy? I am so thankful. Jesus, thank you. Okay. So, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, this is the gospel. Do you want to be filled with the gospel? Okay, quickly, because I'm, I'm trying to keep my commitment to the babies here. Okay. Well, he gets into this. So, God... Commission's us to proclaim good news. He really does, and you know maybe. So, verse fourteen, he says, "How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed?" So here's the question: Like, how many of you have relatives or people you work with who need Jesus? Is there anybody who doesn't? Maybe if you live in a convent or a monastery or something, but and there's a bunch of grumpy nuns in there. They probably need Jesus at least they need refreshing okay so how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed and how will they believe in him who they've never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching making a declaration being a herald a, a, the preacher isn't like making up their own message they're just delivering the message that was given to them that's his point point. and he says how are they to preach unless they're sent So Jesus said it, John chapter 20, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So to call, we must believe. To believe, we must hear. To hear, we must hear someone preach or read. Now we can read, but he's, in in that context, there pretty much had to be a preacher. And to preach, someone must be sent. And I mean, the amazing thing is Jesus said, he who accepts you accepts me. He who rejects you rejects me, and he, who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Luke chapter 10. So it's like when you're declaring the gospel, when you're sharing it, it's simple as it might be, did you know Jesus loves you? Did you know how much God loves you? Did you know, how, you know, you have different things that you can say to people. He's with you. He's in your mouth and in your heart. And this is the word of faith. And so people, I, I just, God, I just pray that you will open our hearts and our mouths and that we would be bold to proclaim. And not all have obeyed the gospel. Lord, who has believed? But the, but faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so I, here's, and and. The, I don't have time for the next few verses, but they basically go back to the tension in the beginning, like a lot of people have rejected, the Gentiles have received, and the Jews have rejected, and it's like, don't let the tension stop you, and that's usually why we stop sharing the gospel, is like, you know, everybody hates us, and they're like, oh, here they come again, you know, I, I mean, when I was a new believer, I remember I was standing in the Employment office in in Sonora, California, which I always wondered why they didn't call it the unemployment office because the only people who went there were people that needed a job, but and I had this big Bible, and this guy that I'd known since like junior high, his name was, there were twins, David and Daryl Beltrami. I'm not sure which one it was. He sees my Bible and he says, are you one of those? And he started using language that would probably be, wouldn't get him kicked out now. But in that time, I thought like, I can't believe nobody's kicking. He started cussing me out right there (laughs) for having a Bible. It's like, don't let that hinder you. So lift your hands. I want to pray for boldness. And then I'm going to release you. God, you've given us the greatest news in the universe. You've given us, you've filled us and the word is in our hearts and in our mouths. It's internal and it's external and we ask you to lay your hand upon us that you would fill us with boldness, you would fill us with this running over joy and determination and love and compassion for every person we meet. God, that we wouldn't see how mean, how ornery, how evil they are, we'd see how much you love them. God, do you want that? I want you to raise your hand and I'm just gonna pray. God, make us. You said the Holy Spirit would come upon us and you would make us your witnesses. God, fill us, empower us, embolden us, stretch out your hand with signs and wonders, move in our hearts and minds with nudges, with intuitions, with words of knowledge about people, fill our eyes with love, that wherever we go, we would be peacemakers, we would be ambassadors of Christ, you would make your appeal through us to those who don't know you. God, that we wouldn't be canceled by cancel culture, we wouldn't be offended by perversion, we wouldn't be surprised at the way the world's going, but they would be surprised at us that we don't run after them in the same way. Can you say, God, make me your witness? Now, if you want, I'm just gonna, this is like raise your hand time, okay? If you say, God, I wanna be a more faithful witness. I wanna be a more effective witness. Would you raise your right hand? Unless you don't have a right hand, then raise your left hand, okay? All right, okay, I see a lot of hands. Holy Spirit, you see these hands? I'm gonna raise both hands. God, would you empower us? Would you embolden us? Would you fill us? So that it could truly be said, as the Father sent you, you've sent us, and we go bearing good news. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. Amen. I'm done. So, so if you don't know Jesus, come forward. If you need healing, come forward. If you need breakthrough, come forward. If you just want someone to pray with you, come forward. There are anointed people to pray for you. Everyone else, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face, his power and his grace shine on your lives. May he be gracious to you and may you be aware of it. May you know he's turned toward you, waiting for your prayers. And may his peace be upon you as you go into the darkness, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen. God bless you. All right, ministry team, if you get up here, and then again, if you don't know Jesus or you're not right with God, you need breakthrough, you need to come back to your first love, please come because God wants to change your life, amen.